Hey everybody, I want to talk to you about a deeper lightness. Richard Rohr sent out this thing in his uh, daily uh, email updates that he sends out. By the way, if you're not subscribed to uh, daily email updates from Father Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R, by virtue of the fact that you find this podcast interesting or worthwhile, I am pretty confident that you would really enjoy these uh, these daily email updates from Richard Rohr. Anyway, and his books, by the way, are just are just fantastic. So, in in his uh, e- email update this morning, it's entitled "A Deeper Lightness," and he describes how people in the second half of life have this kind of inner freedom that simultaneously is able to hold joy and suffering. So I want to read that for you and then just kind of comment on that a a little bit. He says, there's a gravitas in the second half of life, but it's held up by a much deeper lightness or okayness. Our mature years are characterized by a kind of bright sadness and a sober happiness, if that makes any sense. I'm just grabbing for words to describe many wonderful older people I have met. He writes, there is still suffering in the second half of life. In fact, maybe even more, but there is now a changed capacity to hold it creatively and with less anxiety. It is what John of the Cross called luminous darkness, and it explains the simultaneous existence of deep suffering and intense joy in the saints and mystics, something that is almost impossible for most of us to imagine. Eastern Orthodoxy believed That if something was authentic religious art, it would always have a bright sadness to it. I think I'm saying the same of an authentic life. He goes on, in the second half of life, one has less and less need or interest in eliminating the negative or fearful, making again those old rash judgments, holding on to old hurts or feeling any need to punish other people. Our superiority complexes have gradually departed in all directions. We learn to positively ignore and withdraw our energy from evil or stupid things rather than fight them directly. We fight things only when we are directly called and equipped to do so. We all become a well-disguised mirror image of anything that we fight too long or too directly. That which we oppose determines the energy and frames the questions after a while, and we lose our inner freedom. Daily life now requires prayer and discernment more than knee-jerk responses toward either end of the political and cultural spectrum. We have a spectrum of responses now, and they're not all predictable. Law is still necessary, of course, but it's not our guiding star, or even close. It has been wrong and cruel too many times. The eight Beatitudes speak to us much more than the Ten Commandments. When we are young, we define ourselves by differentiating ourselves from others. Now we look for the things we all share in common. We find happiness in a likeness, which has become much more obvious to us now. And we do not need to dwell on the differences between people or exaggerate the problems. Creating dramas has become boring. In the second half of life, it is good just to be part of the general dance. We do not have to stand out, make defining moves, or be better than anyone else on the dance floor. Life is more participatory than assertive, 
and there is no need for strong or further self-definition. I just love this so much. I read this this morning and it just really kind of stirred up those those juices, really got me thinking, first of all, that I see these changes kind of starting to happen in myself, that I can look back over the last uh, four or five years and realize now that they were starting to happen at that time. But at the time, it felt negative, you know, like confusion. And now it's getting to where it feels positive, like clarity. And what stood out the most for me in this piece was where Rohr writes, we learn to positively ignore and withdraw our energy from evil or stupid things rather than fight them directly. He says we fight things only when we are directly called and equipped to do so. And this especially is so compelling to me. We all become a well-disguised mirror image of anything we fight too long or too directly. That which we oppose determines the energy and frames the questions after a while and we lose our inner freedom. You know, I really feel that. I feel that in my stridency, my anger and frustration with religion and rules and politics, you know, I look on all that stuff and I think I've, in certain ways, I've just been part of the problem. Just one more person kind of putting negative energy into the world. And by the way, that's not to minimize any good that I have done or, you know, positive impacts that I've had. You know, one of the things that we really learn is we as we start kind of moving beyond just kind of dogma, right? And just mere belief in certain religious statements. As we start moving beyond that, we really realize that, you know, it's a, it's a mixed bag that as hard as we have tried to do good, there have been some bad things that have come about as a result. And even in our worst moments, perhaps some kind of goodness was nevertheless able to come from some of that. And so it's not just all one way or the other, but my point is that I'm able to to increasingly realize, you know, that in in some of my desires to do good, some of my desires to, you know, take a stand and and, you know, speak out against certain things or represent things in a certain way that you know, and to some extent uh, you know, it's it's had some negative impacts too, putting negative energy out into the world. And I'm realizing, I'm seeing in my own life that with increasing frequency, I'll type out something on social media. You know, I'll spend 20 minutes thinking it through and crafting it and, and fashioning it to, to make my point sharply and skillfully, only to read it all back through once I'm finished kind of think about whether it's really going to move the needle or accomplish any real good in the world. And then I'll just kind of simply and unceremoniously just delete it. I call it pressing the nope key. Nope. And I'm realizing that some of these are things are barriers to love. I think it's an active piece to love where we're praying or putting positive energy into the world and and then a passive piece to love where we're just learning to remove the barriers that keep love from flowing. My stridency, my love for my own opinions and ideas. The the fact is I just, I got to let a lot of that go. 
my sense that what I really need to do is make another argument that can correct or fix somebody or something or change somebody's mind. That's, that's got to go. And of course, here I am saying this on my podcast that I've put together for the whole world to hear. So you might think, well, what's up with that? <laughs> right? Like, isn't that a little bit contradictory? But I think that's why I had to struggle so long and so hard with even doing this podcast. Because it had to transform in my mind from just doing, or, you know, having opinions and making arguments to really being able to embrace and point to love. I think beginning to break through that stuff is what is referred to in the Christian tradition as dying to self. I know Father Rohr makes the point that you really can't die to yourself until you've spent a few decades creating a self that ultimately has to be died to. You first have to have a calling, a career, a list of accomplishments, degrees, certifications, you know, a net worth, an ego identity, something you've spent years building and fashioning for yourself. You have to have that before you can reach a point where you realize, well, that stuff's nice to have, but it can't get you there. It can't free you. It can't be all there is. And so you go into the second half of life and begin separating your sense of yourself from all that ego stuff, all that stuff you spent the first half of life building and accumulating. And this is where you start to break free. In your 20s and 30s, you thought you were going to change the world. But by the time you get into your 40s and 50s, you realize what a towering challenge it is to simply change yourself in some substantive way. And hopefully you start to take that challenge a bit more seriously. And you do it by surrendering, realizing all the stuff that you think makes you who you are really isn't all that. And this is the door into love when you don't have to make that next argument or win or get that next shot in at the other side or keep proving to the world that you deserve to be here. So I just wanted to share this with you today, not certainly not because I'm there yet, but because I can feel it growing up in me, this desire to, to let go, to be at peace in the world and, and with all people, to be a channel for love and peace and, and goodness, what Christians call the fruit of the Spirit, for all that stuff to be able to flow through me out into the world. This is reflected in what this podcast is all about, because I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. Love is a calling, and you won't be able to do it until you feel called to it. Frankly, regardless of what you say you believe or what your religious background is. That's why so many religious people aren't loving, right? They have not felt that call. They haven't sensed that call to move beyond themselves or to, to transcend themselves, right? And to to unwrap themselves from ego and from accomplishments and from kind of the trappings of identity, which we, we have to, that's the dying to self. Like I said, we have to do that. We have to let go of that. We have to, you know, untangle ourselves from that stuff so we can realize that's not really who I am. You know, it's what I've done and it's, it's okay, you know, for as far as it goes, but it, it, like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't get us there. So I'm just, in this podcast, I'm just trying to gather together 
people who know they are called to go deeper in love because that is my church and those are my people. See you next time.